welcome to the Inside Elland Road podcast from the Yorkshire Evening Post. This is episode 100. I'm Graham Smith and I'm joined by Joe Arca to talk about Leeds United and the Premier League season that was. Joe, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I can't quite believe that it's over. I mean, I was sat in this exact chair for the Liverpool game because that was one of two fixtures I, I wasn't able to attend this season. And um, I was looking at this exact screen and it feels like it was five minutes ago, you know, when they had that crazy game with Liverpool and scored goals and caused problems and made it look like actually this season would be a lot of fun. And I, and we sit here now after a whole load of fun and a very, very good season with Leeds finishing in ninth. And I just, I can't quite get my head around the fact that it's finished. Yeah, it does. It does sort of feel like two minutes ago since um, we were watching Leeds United and Liverpool go head-to-head at Anfield and it was kind of this glitz and glamour of the Premier League and, and everything that that comes with and, and seeing Bielsa at Anfield and, and it's sort of zoomed by, hasn't it? And to see them now finish ninth is... I, I don't, I'm not even sure any... Well, I don't know if you did, but I definitely didn't think that they would be in the top half. Um, maybe I'm a bit more pessimistic than <laughs> than the average fan, but I just I just felt going into the season, top half of the bottom half was fine. Okay, it's a it's a couple of sort of positions, but I think the way that they've tacked the Premier League this season, it can't be anything else but but admiration from sort of fans and obviously we're seeing them earn a lot of plaudits um, outside the the club as well. Yeah, it's been. Um... It's been pretty remarkable, a season quite unlike any other. Um, One of the the absolute highlights of the season for me was Sunday at Elland Road. Um, What was it like for for somebody viewing through a screen, having supporters, actual supporters at Elland Road? Yeah, I think it was, um, I think there was a little bit of jealousy from, I think that was natural, from, from everyone who was, elsewhere and, and having to watch through the television screen still but I think once the game started it was really really good to see the fans back in there to hear marching on together again to see the players feed off sort of some form of atmosphere having probably become used to a bit of a sterile environment due to you know the lack of fans and and not having sort of the the 12th man as they always say um behind them but I think it was you could see the impact that the supporters had straight away on the game you could see that sort of from midweek, really, when, when Leeds went to Southampton. But across the Premier League, when you're watching match of the day, you could see players getting sort of riled by supporters back in the stands. And and it was just it was just really nice to see sort of smiles on faces, even like the, the pre-match build-up on BT, seeing sort of the camera shots from outside the ground, seeing Bruce, our photographer, sending pictures just of, of fans milling around like a normal match day. It just felt really nice, even though... Obviously, me and the majority of people couldn't be inside the ground. It just, it just felt like a little bit more back to normality, and and hopefully the scenes that we'll start to see from August onwards when when Leeds are, are playing Premier League football again. For me, it was even just seeing a queue for chips across the road. You know, the general busyness of Elland Road itself, fans making the walk across from the Peacock, um, the corner shop being as full as COVID guidelines uh, would permit um and then once you were inside the ground 
you know, once fans came in, once fans were allowed to come in, a lot of people came and took their seats very early um, and were there as as for as much time as was allowed, really. I think they just wanted to savour it. You know, they wanted to be in their seats and, and enjoy it. And so, you know, there was actually a bit of atmosphere from an earlier stage than you would perhaps normally experience on a match day. So when the players came out to look at the pitch before the game, they got a nice ovation. Um, and then, you know, when Bielsa came out to do his pre-match media duties, all four sta- all four stands were singing his name. Um, and it, it really was. I mean, Southampton was great. The fans at Southampton were great. It was noisy at St Mary's. And, and I realised just how much I'd missed it and, and what a difference it, it makes to to the experience of a football game. You know, everything feels more urgent. You know, when there's a something's missed by a referee or when time's running out and a team needs to get a goal, it's the fans that create that urgency and make it feel so much more tense. Um, and at Elland Road, it was just something else. I mean, it was genuinely hairs on the back of your neck standing up. And when the team came out for their warm-up, uh, it, it ramped up again. And then, you know, when they finally came out for the game, um, particularly with the emotion of the day, you know, given it was going to be Berardi and Hernandez last hurrah at Elland Road, it just felt special. Um, and I know that it's not a patch on what it will be like come August 14th when, uh, when let's hope the stadium is full again. Um, that will be a really special occasion, but it did feel special to be there on Sunday and to see fans in again. Um I think the fact that it was the last game for those two obviously took centre stage and it did add a certain, maybe a nostalgia to the occasion that might not have been there previously. But um, did it come across as that emotional for you outside the stadium? I think so, yeah. I think BT showed sort of a, a camera shot panning on the pre-match warm-ups and obviously you could see Pablo and, and Gaetano talking to the players and I think from then onwards there's probably a lot of people you know bottom lips starting to go and it's just I think the way that Leeds United have been for such a long time sort of before maybe Rodrizani sort of came in there's been a lot of players who have come and gone who have taken sort of paychecks maybe haven't cared as much and I think that Pablo Gaetano, you could even go back to sort of maybe Pontus Janssen, who was maybe the first one who who came back and, and sort of showed a real connection with the fans. There's been a lot of players who haven't really had that in recent times. So to have those two who have meant so much to the fan base, who have who've, who've meant so much to the football club in terms of getting the club back into the Premier League and having been at the club for, what is it, five and seven years between them, I think it's it was just a very odd feeling for a lot of fans because you've not really had a goodbye like that to to players in, and particularly players who are sort of departing because there's been a lot of players who have been shoved out the back door regardless of whether they've gone with good feeling or not because of being sold by chairmen or you know that kind of thing so to have sort of almost a perfect goodbye the perfect goodbye would have obviously been a full Elm Road but to to almost have that to have the portion of the fans there for them to both be taken off in the 70th minute I think it just it just felt very strange for Leeds United because they've not really had had or we haven't really had that in in at the football club for a long long time really due to lots of factors like I say there's 
there's been players who have been sold, there's been players who have moved on, who have left maybe because they've wanted to move on to bigger clubs. But I think now we're starting to see that, you know, if you're at Leeds United, there's not many, many other places that can attract you. And um, those are two players who have left their mark and, and left their history, you know, on history at the club, Pablo in particular. Gaetano probably falls into the, the cult hero um, category. I'm sure people will have arguments over that for a long period of time. But yeah, just... Um, a nice, a nice way to say goodbye, and lots of tears I think were shed from themselves and fans. I just wish Sam Johnston had got the memo because uh, he was, he was a man on a mission to stop Pablo from getting the goal that everyone wanted him to get. He had three shots in a small period of time, and the third one, when he took the third shot and it was deflected for a corner, um, Tyler Roberts was already stripped and ready. Pascal Stroik was alongside him. They were on the touchline, and it was obvious that Pablo and Berardi were about to get their their standing ovation. Um, and it was it was tinged with sadness. Obviously, I mean, not just tinged with sadness, soaked in sadness because they've been so popular and so loved at the club. But had Pablo found the net, I really do think the roof would have come off. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I think he would have lost all composure. Because he was clearly very emotional, him both of them really throughout the afternoon from the minute they stepped out onto the pitch. Um, I think Berardi said afterwards he couldn't even really talk to his teammates before the game because he was just so so filled with emotion. Um, I think you saw that a little bit in his play, like there were a few passes he made that that looked a bit nervy or a bit edgy to me. But you have to say he kept a lid on it throughout, and for a player known for his wholeheartedness and his love of the physicality of the game. Um, you know, for him to not take a yellow or not to have a, a rush of blood to the head and, and go and nuke, tactically nuke someone in the middle of the pitch, um, I think it was testament to how much he's changed, really, as a player at Leeds. Um, so to get the win, I think, for them was was all important. It was important for PLC. He was never going to treat this as a, a testimonial game. You know, this was a, a game that was there to be won. The fans being there gave it that bit of extra motivation a bit of extra incentive um and then when they came off in the 70th minute you know it was just it's one of those moments where it it's justifiable that a game comes to a halt for a minute or two um you know like, like when a when a legend retires um and everyone stops and everyone applauds um maybe not quite naming no names when a legend prearranges his own kind of exit in what minute he's going to come off and um, you know, if his players are going to give him a guard of honour off the pitch, you might be able to find an example of that in in fairly recent history if you have a look. But um, but this this felt quite natural. You know that, that Kyle Bartley ran up from the from the back to say goodbye, um, which I thought was a nice touch. And the Leeds players all came and um, embraced both men. And then they had that that lovely moment of um, embracing Bielsa on the touchline, and he was obviously joining in with the. Um, the applause and then Pablo's name just rang out around the stadium for for the next several minutes um, and you could see he was sat in the stand you know fingers in his eyes hands on his face just I think gently losing it is probably the right way to put it um, and I think there's, there's there's got to be a lot of mutual gratitude there because not only was not only has Pablo given fans lots of wonderful memories of great goals in the championship he and a lot of people have said this. He he picked them up, put them on his back, and he hauled them into the Premier League. 
know, he really had the bit between his teeth at the end of last season and the goals he scored and the performances he had and the goals he made were absolutely key to Leeds getting over the line, um, all while injured as well. But also, you know, look what Leeds has done for Pablo Hernandez. You know, it's given him another home, another fan base that loves him, a bit of a legacy and a, a an end to his career, albeit, you know, with a, a disappointing last season, but overall an ending to his career that in England that he can be fully proud of. Um and given that his career was drifting a little bit aimlessly before he came to Leeds, having had such a good career previously, I think he'll be quite thankful for what he was given by this club as well. I think you could see that in his reaction and his emotion. I think he realises, obviously we saw it on the night they were promoted. He was on FaceTime to his family, wasn't he? And he was completely in tears. He'd broken down. And I think... um, He's sort of someone who's who's come over as obviously dazzled with his footballing ability and and is like you say like you quite rightly say is taken the club and put it on its back at times, a bit like Luke Ayling at times in the in the promotion running last year when he he just decided to score lots of goals and and score that ridiculous underside volley against Huddersfield. But he's been doing that for a sort of an extended period of time and like you say for Bielsa basically to chuck him on when he was half injured at the end of last season for 20 minute spells just knowing the ability that he he had even with a half fit Pablo Hernandez is sort of testament to what he 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 did footballing wise for the football club and I think you could see in his emotion in his reaction it was a shame due to obviously circumstances that his family couldn't be there his kids couldn't be there to see sort of what an impact their dad had had on this city on this football club but I'm sure he'll have that recorded and, and he'll be able to watch it back with his kids when they're older and this is the legacy that I have. He'll always be, you know, welcome to come back to the football club whenever he wants. I'm sure they've already said that to him. So just um a lovely human being as well when we've interviewed him, but also someone who sort of understood Leeds United when he came and arrived and there's not many outsiders who have managed to come and do that and have the impact that have left you know Leeds have got a rich history of, of, of players who have come through the academy who have the affinity with the fans there's a lot now in you know thanks to Hernandez who hopefully in future will come and, and do similar from the outside looking in and just just a legacy that is is going to be huge and I th- the, the, there was a few tweets wasn't there on Sunday that were probably emotion fueled but it was a really nice one about you know people having of this generation having Bielsa and Hernandez to look back on with their kids in in the future and it's right because okay it was the second division but if you look at the circumstances around the football club 16 years out of the Premier League and he basically at times put the club on his back drove them there himself and and he quite rightly goes down as a sort of legend in everyone's eyes around the city and his face is on a, a wall which is <laughs> I'm which sure is he's great. delighted about yeah <laughs> um I would be that, that that mural is absolutely superb yeah, is, um yeah. and, and as I've said before Joe I'm a I am one of the world's expert on murals. Um, I've seen a few, seen a few painted gable ends in my time, um, and that that one is a special one. Um, it is, there is a little bit of mixed feeling because of the way this season went, and he didn't maybe get the game time. Well, he certainly didn't get the game time that he felt he warranted. And there was times this season when we looked at the team sheet and thought, no Pablo again, or in the game, you know that looked like it was crying out for a Pablo Hernandez he he didn't get on the pitch there was that that um moment during Leicester at home wasn't it when he got taken off and he 
he hurled the armband into the stand and he kicked the water bottle and that definitely had an impact for a while on his game time on his relationship with Bielsa but I think it was obvious by Sunday that whatever the feelings were on either side that all of that had been put behind them and no matter how this season had gone it was just pure respect and admiration on on both sides and Pablo didn't sugarcoat it and he didn't he didn't tell any lies or dress it up he he was very honest in his his open letter and um in the way he spoke and and Bielsa for his part I thought it was really nice that he said Pablo's performance showed that I maybe should have given him more time this season um I thought it was all very classy and it and it and had it not been for the fans being there I think it would have been almost a tragic occurrence those two walking off the pitch in you know with just Victor Orta screaming their names or, or shouting um it made sense because fans were there and mm. it felt like a, a good goodbye and a fitting goodbye maybe not the one they fully deserved that might come at some stage in the future hopefully but at least it felt like it made sense um and then Leeds went on and won the game which was terrific um, what wasn't so terrific was Calvin Phillips um, miscontrolling and, and letting West Brom get a goal. And then I think it was quite obvious that in front of fans and right at the end of the season, he tried to make amends by um, eviscerating uh, Dean Garner. Um, got the ball, got a lot of the man and got a shoulder injury that threatens, still threatens his, his place at the Euros. Um, it was very, very unfortunate way for what has been a fantastic season for him uh, to end. Hugely frustrating, isn't it? Because obviously he's had a shoulder injury this season and you just worry about the fact that he's going to be so rushed to be not himself because obviously the medical staff will, I'm sure, look after him. Rob Price, I think, had him straight to hospital, didn't he? But you just worry about the impact that this may have on Leeds United going into next season, if if he does rush back, gets in the Euro squad, comes back, and then you know it doesn't heal properly, or he, I mean, this is completely from a selfish point of view, from a Leeds United sort of angle looking at it. You just hope that if he if he is included in the England squad, then it's because he is a hundred percent ready, fit, available for selection, whether he starts or not. Even if he is fully fit, if John Henderson is available, is a is a different debate to have, but. You just hope that he isn't rushed into Southgate squad. You feel like him as long as he, as long as all the boxes are ticked, it would be a huge shame for him to miss out. Absolutely, after the season he's had, after the couple of years he's had for his hometown football club, sort of a, a brilliant thing for him to go away with England to the Euros, maybe get some game time, etc., etc. But you just hope that they don't rush this injury and and it causes further problems down the line. I get, Like I say, that is a completely selfish point of view, but it would be hugely frustrating if he was to go away with England, come back, and then pre-season or something else, some, you know, it, it breaks down again, and he's, he, he misses sort of the start of the Premier League, etc. Et so you just hope that, that he isn't rushed back. Yeah, I think I think two things. He, I think it says a lot about his standing with Gareth Southgate, that Southgate included him in this 33-man squad because Calvin's clearly not fit to play right now. But if he's willing to have him in this squad and name him and and hold out hope for him, I think it says a lot. I mean, obviously, Jordan Henderson hasn't trained with the team yet at Liverpool, has he? So his fitness is 
in doubt still. So so Phillips is important in that respect because yes, there's Declan Rice, but um, you, you can't just have one option for that position. Um, and, and Southgate even said it himself yesterday when he was when he was announcing the squad that it was partly due to Maguire and his injury and partly due to Phillips and his injury that they're doing this 33-man squad to give themselves more time to get a fuller picture of where they are going into the Euros. But I absolutely agree that it would be an, a huge shame if he didn't get to go. You know, if, he, if they have to cut him from the final squad because of injury, um, because of the way it happened. You know, had it happened, you know, in the 15th minute when, he, when it was nil-nil, and he was going up for a challenge and he fell awkwardly, then that's one thing. But what he's got to live with now and reconcile uh, himself with is that it was the 92nd, 93rd minute of a game Leeds were winning 3-1, the very last game of the season. And had he, and I'm sure he's replayed it in his mind a million times, had he simply shepherded Diangana towards the touchline or stood his ground, you know, he he probably wouldn't need a provisional squad place. He'd probably be in the final squad. You know, I think it was highly likely that he was going to the Euros, and, and he might not have started. But going to the Euros as an England player is a big thing for a for a player who, who's been in the Championship his entire career until this season. So, one of our our colleagues at the the BBC suggested that the YEP had a front page with a picture of Calvin in his shoulder. And a and a place your hands here, <laughs> headline, for the for the people of Leeds to to pray for uh, the Yorkshire Pierlo. Um, I think everyone will have everything crossed that he comes through, um, and that he actually makes it onto the plane. Um, because you'd have to say it's deserved, you know, on the season he's had, and we'll talk about we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But um, there were there were when when you say there was a question mark over someone, it sounds super negative. But there were so many players in this lead squad that were an unknown quantity at Premier League level. And Phillips was one of them. And I think he's shown himself to be Premier League quality. I think last season in the Championship at times, he looked like he was on cruise control. Looked like it was almost too easy at times. I think this season he's been challenged, but he stood up to the challenge really well. Um, And the one that stands out for me is Manchester City at home. When for the first 20 minutes, he and Leeds looked like they were an under-14 team getting bossed by an under-18 team. Um, De Bruyne was, was, looked like a man against boys, and I would include Phillips in that, which is unusual to say. But after that 20 minutes, Phillips in particular found a way to get into the game. And by him getting into the game, Leeds got into the game, and then they went on to grab that fantastic draw. Um, but there are other performances as well, and, and we'll talk about that shortly. Um, another thing to note about Sunday was the, the presence of some big hitters. Um, you had those those YouTube characters, uh, obviously. Um, They're all under right now. <laughs> those young men from the YouTube. Um, <laughs> you had uh, Jermaine Beckford, obviously. I got a lot of camera time on the the live show that was on one friend, of Andrea Rodgers. Friend, friend of the YEP, Jermaine. Friend, Jermaine Beckford. Friend, friend of the YEP, Jermaine Beckford. Um, friend of the YEP, Dominic Matteo was there. Um, Ellie Golding was there, obviously. Not, um, not not a friend of the YEP, unfortunately. Not yet a friend of the YEP. Um, yeah, her presence there, um, 
I mean, it baffled. It, it baffles me. I don't, I don't quite know. I, don't, I think I, I know... Um, a boyfriend is it a boyfriend or husband is a Leeds fan, but I don't know why. I mean, that, that's not justification. I'm just pointing that out. No, I, th- I do think he is from the West Yorkshire region. Um, as pointed out by Daniel Chapman in his column this week, and also Ellie Golding has performed on Andrea Rajasani's uh, TV channel. Um, oh, well, it's I all think, just coming together. <laughs> um, so when you fit the pieces together, but but I have to say, I mean, she would she would be uh, a left field appointment to the board if she ever uh, got involved <laughs> at Leeds, Leeds United. Um, but yeah, what I what I was actually going to go on to say was that the the real big hitters were uh, in the boardroom. Um, and Pete Lowy, uh, Lowy, Lowy, uh, depending on where you're from as to how you say that that name. Lifelong supporter of Leeds United, Australian gentleman from a reasonably successful business family. Um, Underplaying with, it slightly. <laughs> with uh, with wealth in the in the billions rather than millions. From that from that kind of we could buy this place tomorrow without doing due diligence kind of wealth. Um, and also a family who have previously investigated the possibility of buying Leeds United. Um, so his name was a very interesting one in the release last week about the new formation of the board. He's come in as a significant investor in the 49ers Enterprises investment vehicle. Um, I, I find it very interesting that he's come in at this point. Um, I'd love to know what his what his future plans and intentions are is he just happy to be there and to be a part of it or does he and and, and do the the family you know want to finish off what they started i suppose in investigating the possibility of taking over um also the fact that he's coming with the 49ers is is interesting um and i know that andrea rodrizani had another couple of allies added to the board as well including a former ceo of fiorentina um but I think Lowy is the, is the one that kind of made most eyebrows shoot up a little bit. Um, he, he was quoted as saying on Sunday how nice it was that he was able to walk out onto the Elland Road pitch and not be kicked off. Um, what was brilliant about that was, unbeknownst to him, when he did have his little wander onto the pitch pre-game and he kind of brushed the turf and um, and he was kind of looking around and taking it all in, which was, which was nice to see, actually, because... So many of these investors that come from overseas and get involved in clubs, they they don't really seem to look around and smell the flowers at any stage. They just they're in it for the the pounds and the pence. So if he genuinely has leads at heart, then I think that's a great thing. But um, <laughs> when he was on the pitch, he had his back to the tunnel area where um, Martin Sykes, one of the, the security guys at Leeds United, he's in charge of team security and all of that. He began striding purposefully. Um, with the air of a man who was about to remove someone from somewhere they shouldn't have been in the direction of this billionaire heir <laughs> and new director of Leeds United. And as he got to about the, the centre circle, Lowy headed off the pitch uh, under his own steam, didn't have to be carted off or, or politely asked to move. Um, but it was it was fascinating to watch. It was like, you know, when you watch those wildlife clips on Instagram or on Twitter when somebody posts them and you've got like a, you know, one one animal in shot and then very slowly a more dangerous animal appears and yeah. and, is make, and you're, you're waiting to see what the outcome will be. It was a little bit like that for a few minutes. Um, and it, it did probably tickle me more than it 
which it would have done most normal people, but I I was just fascinated to see what he was going to do. <laughs> just wanted to see it play out. Being rugby tackled to the ground would have been very, very funny, wouldn't it? Welcome to your new job. <laughs> Welcome to your new club. Um, yeah, I'm sure Martin had every intention of, of the, the polite option, but but we'll never know, sadly. Um, so now Leeds have three potential sources of, of wealth yeah. in the boardroom. I don't think there's enough billionaires on the board now. I think we need more. Well, I mean, they do say the more billionaires, the better, don't they? Um, that is the, that's the saying. Um, I think the interesting thing is, is how long Andrea Rajani plans to be in charge. You know, how, how long he plans to be the major, the major owner. Um, you know, whether he still sees it as as long term or whether he's now starting to think about an exit plan. Um, whether he'll exit at all, maybe he'll simply relinquish some of his shares, but retain some shares and still have a say and still be very much involved. Um, you have to believe that the 49ers are, have considered or are considering whether they could be the people to run this ship and take it forward. And of course, Louis as well, you know, what's he thinking about Leeds United and, and where he lies in the club's future? Um, Regardless of all of that, the Leeds are in a pretty good, pretty good shape. You have to say, you know, there there are enough people of significant means involved now that, and also, the, the club's value has shot up since Radrazani took over. The club's brand is worth so much more. the The income streams are delivering in a way they never have before. Happiness and customer satisfaction, if you want to put it that way, is at an all time high. Um, certainly, well, I say all time high perhaps not as high as it once was under Don Revy, but as high as it could have been imagined to to be a few years ago. Leeds just seem to be in a very good place right now, and, and the future could be very exciting. We really don't know what's, what's going to happen. They've still got to get a few seasons of Premier League football under the belt before I think they really establish themselves as one of the, the behemoths of English football. But as a Leeds fan... You know, as a pessimistic Leeds fan, as as the as the Eeyore of the Leeds United fan base, you must be fairly optimistic. I'll take that. I think you thought that was an insult, but I'll take that. I don't mind Eeyore. Um, <laughs> absolutely, hundred percent. I think the the club is about well. In I'm trying to think in in my own living memory, um, whether it's been in this good a shape, and I'm I'm hard pressed to say it has because. Just on the field, one of the best coaches in the world, doing arguably some of his finest work in his career. Um, without delving too deep into his, his past teams, the way that he's taken a lot of mid-table Championship football players and made them into mid-table Premier League players has to be up there as some of his his finest work. I think off the field, you're looking at Leeds getting into shape. Um, have been run shambolically for a long, long time. But like you say, it's exciting. Obviously, there has to be an air of, of caution. I think the European Super League um, has probably brought that to the forefront more than ever, but I don't think you need to tell a set of fans to be cautious about ownership um, in Leeds United. So, yeah, I, I think I think it's about as well placed the football club in, in general, both on and off the pitch, as 
I'm, I'm, I genuinely don't think it's been like this in my own living memory. I think the way that they've attacked this season, the way that they're being managed, spending 100 million last year was just astonishing. And yeah, I don't, I don't think it's been this sort of well placed for for a long, long period of time. Um, so let's talk about the season then in terms of awards. Leeds United had their end of season awards on Sunday night. Um, Stuart Dallas took the lot, the greedy Hallion. He uh, he was player of the year, players player of the on, year. Were you on the panel? Can I just get this in first? <laughs> I can't confirm or deny whether I had any say in <laughs> the uh, in the choosing of any of those awards. Um, but I did have all four of my children uh, deleting cookies and voting multiple <laughs> times uh, for Dallas in the uh, player of the year vote. Um, Vote early, vote often is the, actually our family's motto on the family shield. Um, vote Stuart Dallas. Dallas no. Vote Dallas. Stuart <laughs> Dallas picked up player of the year, player's player, and goal of the season for his winner at Manchester City. You couldn't really argue with any of those, could you? I mean, uh, Dominic Matteo, he said that it was for him it was between Ailing and Dallas for player of the year. We'll have our own little stab at it now. For player of the year, who did you go for? <sighs> See, it's difficult because I absolutely think Stuart Dallas has been phenomenal. But I think the way that Patrick Bamford has performed this season and every single sort of question that's been asked of him, he's answered. He's scored 17 goals. He's got seven assists. And he should absolutely be going to the European Championships with England. And it's an absolute travesty that Southgate has ignored him. Um, I can see you with a little wry smile on my screen. (laughs) But... I think I'm going to go with Bamford just for the way that he's led the line, um, the way that everyone wrote him off. And obviously Dallas is, is going to be the majority, I think. But I think Patrick Bamford's been, I think it's the best career of his, the best season of his career. And hopefully it's not the best season of his career in the future. But this is absolutely his sort of coming of age moment, his prime years. And Bielsa has found a way to get out of him something that no one else has and I think the way that he's proved the whole football world wrong in the last sort of 12 months has been nothing short of admirable Yeah um, I mean arguably I would maybe give the credit to Sean Dyche for for the evolution of uh, Patrick Bamford if if for nothing else providing fuel for the fire with with what went on at Burnley Um, my player of the year uh, my runner up was uh, Lord Patrick Bamford, um, for similar reasons to yourself, just that you talk about question marks. I mean, was there ever a bigger question mark hanging over a player going into the Premier League? Um, well, yeah, I think, sorry to interrupt your spiel, but I just mean that David O'Leary, within, what was it, like a minute of the confetti hitting the floor of the Championship sort of trophy celebration, was saying, Leeds United need to sign a number nine. There's not, like the whole summer... And then they go and break their record to sign Rodrigo, who everyone just assumes is going to be the number nine in Bielsa's new sort of Premier League outlook. And he, he just goes and starts the season on absolute fire and he basically becomes undroppable and he just carries that on. I just think the pressure that he was under last summer for him to produce what he's produced is, is just phenomenal. You make a really good point. You know, I've spoken to people who admit they thought Bamford would have been out of the team by October. I count um, myself um, in that. I count myself in that sort of, you know, I, I thought as soon as San Rodrigo, there's absolutely no way that, that Bamford's going to be starting ahead of him come like, you know, November, December. We know how long it takes to get up to speed, but 
he's absolutely proved me and everyone wrong the way that he's he's taken to to his task this year. Um, yeah, he started the season like a house on fire, three goals in three games, and he kind of carried on in that vein. And we've talked about him in the past about being a bit streaky, and there were a couple of little spells where he didn't score. Most recently, there was a five-game spell where he didn't score, and I think that was probably the longest he went this season without a goal. Um, 17 goals in the Premier League, three in his last four games to end on a high. But it, it it's the rest of it as well. I mean, off the top of my head, I reckon he was in the 81st percentile for pressures per 90 with, I don't know, around 17.85. the top of your head. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, that's against strikers in the in the European, in the big five leagues of Europe. Um, but it's right. his defensive it's his de- defensive work. It's his, his contribution to the link-up play. It's the runs in behind. I mean, how many more goals would he, would he have if all of his runs had been spotted, you know, and found? Um, and, and his assists... You know, the, the, and, the and VAR, bloody VAR. Yeah, VAR cost him. Yeah. VAR cost him goals. Um, so for all of that, I think that makes him a very worthy runner-up <laughs> to my player of the year, Stuart Dallas. Um, yeah, who, who saw that coming? Had I, I mean, come on, had I said anything that, else? Did anyone see this coming at all? In a, in a world of, of inconsistent leaders leading governments across the world and and, and a, in, a, in a fickle sport like football, had I said any other name but Stuart Dallas, I think it would have rocked our listenership to its very core. Um, and I couldn't have looked at myself in the mirror or slept soundly, soundly at night. What more? I mean, we've said it all about Sherdals, haven't we? Um, so to be brief, a right winger who has also been a left winger, who's also been a right back, has also been a left back, has become a centre midfielder. He admitted in the championship that midfield wasn't his best position, and yet he's played like a seasoned Premier League centre mid this season against some of the best players in Europe and probably the world. He scored eight goals from midfield for what he did at Man City, for all the work rate, for getting up and down the pitch, for doing whatever Bielsa asks of him and more, um, and for being Northern Irish, then <laughs> I think there's only one man that, that can take this award, and that's uh, Stuart Dallas. Um, and also, at the end of all of that, he's still willing to put his hand in the air and say, yep, yeah, Ian Barraclough, you can pick me to play in meaningless friendlies against Malta and Ukraine. Um, I just hope he only plays him for 45 minutes in, in each game total because the man needs to put his feet up. In fact, they need to put him in some kind of cryogenic storage uh, until it's time for pre-season um, because he is... When you're a club like Leeds United, you can't go out and buy six, seven or eight Premier League players in your in your summer before your first season. What you have to do is buy two or three or four at most and you have to hope that the players you had in your squad can do a good enough job that holds it all together and allows the new players to settle in and it allows you to build progressively but sensibly. Stuart Dallas is exactly the kind of player that does that for Leeds United because if he can, and it's a big ask, if he can produce this season again, next season, then Leeds United don't have to go and spend all that money on a number eight this summer. Um, And particularly if Adam Forshaw, who 
wasn't involved towards the end of the season because he picked up that little minor strain, but he had recovered fit, enough fitness to play football again, which is huge, a huge step given what he's been through since September 2019. And if if he can rest up now, come back in pre-season and be fit and healthy, then with him in Dallas, I just think it alleviates a lot of the pressure on Leeds to bring in a top, top, top midfielder or spend the kind of money it might take to bring one of those in. Um, and, and that's not disrespectful in any way to Stuart Dallas in saying that there's a better midfielder out there that Leeds can buy. Stuart Dallas is at an age where Leeds United need to be looking to bring in a long-term successor at some point and they need options in that area of the field. And you can't hang your hat on Adam Forshaw being fit because there's still a giant question mark over whether his body can take it and we all hope that it can. But Dallas at least says to Leeds United, this isn't a, an area of major concern. So he needs to come back in pre-season fit and firing, ready to go, because he's he's going to be very important next season. I don't think there's anything else I can sort of add to that. I think he's he's just been absolutely phenomenal, hasn't he? And far and away performed above whatever we thought. And obviously, like I said, obviously a, a fantastic winner of the Player of the Year award for the club. And obviously takes your gong, which is a huge surprise. The bookies will be reeling. Um, and arguably, you know, arguably the one they all wanted. Was was this was this award? <laughs> um, for those of you who've read the alternative awards piece I did in the YP this week, I actually gave MVP, most valuable person, to Marcelo Bielsa's uh, translator Andres um, because he has made all our lives much easier. But for player of the season, I'd, I'd go Dallas. Young player of the year. We'll try and be a little bit briefer on this. But who did you go for? It was between two for me, which was Ilan Melier and Pascal Stroik, but I went for I went for Ilan just because of the the amount of games he's played, the position that he plays, just a what was it, a five million, an absolute snip, and he's just performed far and above any sort of expectations that we thought this season. And for his age, I think he's got such a bright future ahead. Um, has had a, a stunning season, and Leeds have. Uh, truly a great goalkeeper on the hands if he keeps going the way he does I um, I've gone the other way I've gone Stroik as my young player of the year and Melier as my runner up and Melier I mean this was a this was a razor thin split decision because Melier has been superb absolutely superb for his age to be playing the way he's playing in the Premier League um, is fantastic but for me, he was pretty much established as Leeds United's number one going into the season. There wasn't a doubt in my mind that he was going to play and Kiko Casilla was going to sit on the bench. Whereas Stroik, for me, the season he has had has come from nowhere. Yes, he performed pretty well as a defensive midfielder at the latter stages of last season, right pretty much when the season... I mean, the Barnsley game was the one that mattered, but after that, you know, the games didn't really matter. Um when they signed Urente and they signed Robin Cock and you had Liam Cooper, you had three international centre-halves who you thought, well, they're going to get all the minutes this season. And if he needs to, he'll put Phillips in there or he'll put Ailing in there. Pascal Stroik starts the season against Liverpool. Yes, they concede four, but I think he did all right in that game. But what he's gone on to do since then is astounding for me. I, I think, for me, Pascal Stroik is the future for Leeds United at centre-half. And he is a wildly important player and I think they have to cherish him and 
I think he needs enough minutes next season to ensure that he knows he's progressing and that he's developing and that he's not going stale so that they can keep him. Because um, Liam Cooper, you know, is at an age now where they need to be looking at a long-term successor. And I, I think they found him. Um, so for me, Stroik, just for the sheer sheer surprise value of the season he produced, and it surprised him as, as much as it did anyone because he thought he'd play three games at most this season. Um, so I think Stroik, young player of the year, with Melier just behind him, just a fraction of a second behind him. Well, it says a lot that we are literally splitting hairs, aren't we, about who is our player of the year and, and young player of the year. Because Stroik, like you've just listed there, I don't need to repeat it, has been fantastic. Even watching in the 23s, I'm not sure it was obvious to see that he had this in him and the way that he stepped up this season under under Marcelo has been has been fantastic. Um, let's have your goal of the season then. So I split this into two because I'm a cheat. Greedy. So I went for Stuart Dallas at Manchester City for the emotion. And I went for Rafinha at West Brom for my goal of the season in terms of team move and then into the top corner. I mean, the amount of goals they've scored this year, you could have probably chosen three or four, couldn't you? Because Bamford's at Villa, the second one or the third one. Which one is it? The one where he danced through, I think it was the third one, the one where he danced sort of around three defenders yeah. and stuck in the top corner individually was just stunning. But I went for a sort of team slash great strike. So I, I landed on Rafinha's at West Brom because he started on the halfway line and, and it went from there. The way he cut inside and it went into the top corner was a thing of beauty. Um, I've gone for Bamford at Leicester um, and simply because at the time when I watched it, it was one of those goals that just left me with my mouth open a little bit um, there were a lot of very good goals this season, I really liked Rafinha's at Everton, I don't often like a low drive like a low along the ground hard shot, I, I much prefer things in the top corner which is maybe why I've gone for, for the goal I have, but but that was a very good goal uh, Rafinha scored and the one he scored at West Brom was good like you say Shaq's little touch into Dallas the 1-2 um, and Rafinha's finish was great um, Dallas at Man City obviously is a great one because it's the audacity of it to think you know from from inside his own half I'm going to go and win the game from here um, and there were others as well Jack Harrison against Newcastle at home that was a sensational goal but Bamford at Leicester, it was everything. It was Pascal Stroik being on the front foot, jumping up into the play and winning the ball against a very good team with very good players, very good midfielders. Um, passes it to Rafinha, who plays a really nice first-time pass into the feet of Bamford. And the pass basically puts Bamford in on goal. He's not there yet. He has to let the ball roll across himself and stride into the area. But the pass was so good. It wasn't the first time he played that pass in the game either. Um and then the finish, you know, he just rockets it into the far top corner. And Bielsa was, you know, waxing lyrical about that goal after the game. Um, I absolutely love a top corner finish. And uh, and, that, and that one was just, from the angle he was at, and from the fact that it was against such a good goalkeeper as well, you know, former Leeds keeper to boot. So, and it capped what was one of the performances of the season, a 3-1 win at Leicester that nobody saw coming. Um I could watch that goal over and over. But I think, you know, two of the goals Bamford scored at Villa 
were superb. Um, the defending for the one you talked about was atrocious, but the finish, the way he opened up his body and opened up his left foot to kind of guide it into the... And the other one that he hit from outside the area that kind of moved. There have been some screamers this year. I prefer to look at it as, as great centre-forward play. <laughs> I think the way yeah. it sort of uses his body and the defenders don't want to lunge in because they're not sure what he's going to do. But I know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. If you give a defender that sort of situation again, they'd probably tell you exactly what they should have done. But the strike was just out of nothing, low back lift into the top corner. It was um, a phenomenal goal. Um, if we were going for a moment of the season, you'd probably have to say Dallas at Man City, the winner, because it summed up everything about Leeds United in the Premier League, just going after it and um, really not being afraid of anyone. But the comedy moment is one I'd rather focus on. Um, and for me, and I think for everyone, the sight of Bielsa breaking into childish giggling, um, having been asked about Pablo Hernandez's groin injury, and saying in Spanish the equivalent of it's only a little thing. Um, and then him and Andres breaking into schoolboy laughter. Uh, that for me was was a really nice moment. Um, is it me or has, has he felt and seemed more relaxed and a little bit less intense in his press conferences this season than last season? I think it's it's understandable given the the pressure and what was sort of needed last last year with the promotion and the weight of expectation on 16 years away from the Premier League and, and having failed the season before I think it's only natural he the amount of pressure that he puts on himself and his players anyway um I think yeah I think it's been you you wondered sort of when the the press has obviously moved to zoom and how that was dynamic was going to work but he's still given us such great you know answers and, and content and, and everything that comes with, with having Marcelo Bielsa at your football club. You just wondered at the start of the season with the increased sort of Premier League demands on, in, you have to do like four or five interviews after the game, whether by the time, and you wouldn't blame him for this, by the time he got to his press conference, whether he'd still be bothered about speaking and answering the same sort of questions, but he is absolutely um, good value for money, so good, and that was... Um, yeah, it was uh, an interesting moment because obviously it was um, said over Zoom and there was a bit of a delay and I remember the, the amount of confusion and the, the fits of laughter and it was, um, yeah, a fantastic moment and I suppose shows just how content he is at the football club, which can only be a, a great thing for sort of Leeds United fans. Um, there was another one recently as well where he apologised for using so many words in an answer um, and he found that particularly amusing. I think that was more an apology for his translator's sake um, <laughs> what a job what a job that is uh, having to translate Marcelo Bielsa and particularly when Marcelo is showing such a grasp of English that he knows when he's not been translated as he would have wished um, also as well one of, the, one of the nice moments was when he was trying to explain how he was feeling about Alioski's future and he broke into English in attempting to do it um, and he was asked about it recently about speaking English and whether or not he can get his message across to players adequately. Um, I found it really interesting that he said the reason he doesn't speak English is because he, he doesn't feel he can get his point across adequately in Spanish, never mind in a foreign tongue. Um, but don't fool yourself. He knows an awful lot more English than I know Spanish. Um, and without being presumptuous, I'd probably include you in that as well, Joe. Um 
So if you had to pick out something that you enjoyed this season about Leeds United, um, or maybe about their attitude, maybe about the Premier League itself, maybe about the, the discourse around Leeds, what would you say? I decided to, well, I went with my emotions with this one and I, I've gone for the breaking of the London curse at Fulham because mainly because I was there. So that was the, the one <laughs> box ticker. So I, um, that was obviously the one Premier League game I've managed to get to this year. And the performance was, was pretty good. I think Ailing's goal getting ruled out was probably the only downer of the of the day. And then Rafinha's late winner. It was just good for me to sort of experience that and, and see the breaking of the London curse in person. The most stressful day of the year for absolute sure. Because obviously you, you told me, I think at like 1pm in the afternoon that I needed to be in at Craven, Co- <laughs> at Craven Cottage at six or half six or whatever the time was. Um, but yeah, I think seeing seeing that that in person was um, sort of my own personal highlight of the year, and 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 seeing a victory in London um, can't be sniffed at. I don't think, unlike you, who hasn't seen a victory in London and can't go back to London ever again. No, um, no, you certainly took full advantage of me having uh, coronavirus. Um... <laughs> Well, it's just a shame you didn't get it in a very short spell of games. No offence. <laughs> None taken. Um, I'm kidding, what I'm, I en- kidding I'm kidding, I'm what, kidding. What I enjoyed this season, other than staying COVID-free for the vast majority of the fixtures, um, was uh, some of the Jobsworths. I say Jobsworths, they're doing a terrific job. You know, um, My heart goes out to all the stewards at football grounds who have to kick journalists out of their seats. Um exactly 60 minutes after full time because of Biel- I don't when, know when Bielsa is still doing one of his answers <laughs> yeah I mean we were sat at Spurs Stadium and Jose Mourinho was still talking when we were said we were asked Can you pack up now please um well no we we cannot not without having to offer our apologies to H- Jose and a host, host of screens go blank in front of his very eyes um yeah some of them just really really were very keen very keen to get you out of there. Um, what I enjoyed most, I think, was games like Everton away. You know, a big old traditional Premier League ground, a big established Premier League club, albeit one that doesn't really do anything in terms of trophies, but but it represents the Premier League and Calvin Phillips' performance. I'll, I'll apologise to Popey in case he listens to this. Sorry, Popey. Popey. Popey will not be 54 minutes deep into an Inside Ellen Road podcast. I don't know. He's picked me up on stuff before that have been pretty deep into a podcast. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, Calvin Phillips at Everton showed that he can boss a game in the Premier League, and um, and I think that and I think Leeds adding something unique. You know, being able to write about Leeds when everyone wanted to write about Leeds, everyone wanted to watch Leeds. Ali McCoist and his love for Leeds was particularly nice to see. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure any neutral enjoyed Leeds as much as Ali enjoyed Leeds this season. And he kind of he carved out a little niche for himself in the the hearts of Leeds fans with his enthusiasm. I think. Um, sorry, I'm just reading Twitter, and I think I'm going to change my answer. Phil's just tweeted. It's really really good to see that he's um, he sent a message out saying he looks. Well, he's obviously on the mend. So there's my highlight of the season now. Sorry, changed it. No, late, that late, you, late can't, one. you can't. You can't. You can call an audible on that one. Um, there's wonderful news. Um, and we wish him the best. He uh, he had 
surgery recently to remove a, a brain tumor something about which he was incredibly nonchalant I, I don't know. think I've ever. The, me- the message, think... <laughs> the message that he sent. Hi guys, got a brain tumor. See you soon. What? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. He was. He was. He's. Uh. He's. He's made of stern stuff. Is. Uh. Phil Hay. Um. So that is excellent news. Let's turn then to some mixed news. The Euros, England. No Bamford. Carl Phillips is in. Um. Briefly. Did you really think Bamford was going to the Euros? No. Did I do I think he should? Yes. But I, I don't I think that the March squad pretty much had the writing on the wall in terms of, of him his inclusion. Obviously with the expanded squad that he's now named, he's he's got a few wild cards in there. Ben White, for example, which is fantastic news for him, a great sort of tip of the cap to his development over the last few years, which has obviously come at Leeds United in the main. I hope you hear that, Brighton. <laughs> and um, <laughs> But I think it was pretty obvious that it, he would have had to have probably been in one camp before this for him to, to have a, a realistic shout. The fact that he's not been included in the 33-man is, quite frankly, insulting to him, I think. And I, I'd go as far as to say that because the, the way that he's played this season, the way that he's performed, people will make arguments for other players um, I can understand the the why because uh, no, there's no bad player in the England squad. There's not there's not a bad player in there, but it's just frustrating because what more could he have done this season to have a shout of being included at the European Championships? I don't think there's anything more that he could have done. He's given everything to the cause for Leeds. He's got 17 goals. He's got seven assists. He's next best in terms of the goals behind Harry Kane. Obviously, Gareth Southgate's decided to go a different way. He's been at Ellen Road enough to see Bamford, so he clearly he just doesn't doesn't fancy him in his England setup, which I guess you just you just add to the fuel to his fire. So hopefully, he can go on and score twenty five goals next year instead. Uh, as we've been recording, Leeds have put a, an Instagram video up of Calvin Phillips doing a series of strenuous looking shoulder exercises, and he seems to have full range of motion or close to it. Um, whether that's current footage or not. <laughs> Um, but but you can only take that as very good news. You know, if he's if he's able to run, and if he's able to move his shoulder, move his arm around, move it above head height, then that is boding very well. And fingers crossed, he can you know resist a challenge or or put his shoulder into someone without feeling too much pain. Um, he's the kind of player, Calvin Phillips, though. We've said this before. Other players, like take Rodrigo, for example, when he has an injury, Rodrigo, he takes time to get back to his full level. He needs he needs time. And yes, he's an older man, but his season was kind of defined by setbacks and then the period of, of time that he required to get fully fit again. And once he got fully fit, as we saw on the last stage of the season, he was superb. His movement, his mobility, his willingness to defend, his his runs to get away from defenders and his finishing and his vision were all evident and it was a an eye-opener really to see what Leeds United had actually paid for last summer. But he took a lot of time to get there. Um, Calvin Phillips gets injured and pretty much comes back as soon as he's fit and he's back to, back to himself. He doesn't need a lot of time in the 23s and he's also the kind of player who'll play through an injury, which, which might at some stage in his career not be the most advisable thing. But if anyone can come back quickly from this, I would suggest it's probably Calvin Phillips. 
Yeah, 100%. And like I say, if he's um, if he's showing that, then it's great news. Obviously, earlier on the, the podcast, they said that he shouldn't be risked, and I'd still stand by that. If there's any element of doubt over his injury and it could have a longer-term impact, then you have to make the decision. You have to take it out of his hands. But if he's showing that, then what a see what an end to the season it would be for him to, to go away with the country, represent Leeds United, and it'd be fantastic to see if he gets any game time. Um. The Euros then, Click will be there with Poland, hopefully get a decent amount of game time, although not too much game time, he's played a lot of football the last three seasons. Alioski will be there, big summer for him because there's still a big decision to be made, you know, the door isn't closed at Leeds United for Alioski and you have to wonder how he felt on Sunday when the goodbyes and the emotion were all focused on Berardi and Pablo and it could well have been his last game, but he hasn't agreed the deal on the table. Um, it, it has seemed likely throughout all of this that he would go. There's been the link to Galatasaray. I think from a PR point of view, he's made a mistake in not quashing that if it's not true. And if, you know, there's been, there's even been reports that I believe were very premature that he'd signed a, a pre-contract with them or that he'd agreed a deal with them. Um, I think if that wasn't true, then the best move he could have made would be to come out and say, this isn't true. Now, I guess that opens up the question of, well, what are you actually doing? You know, why haven't you signed the deal at Leeds? And there's a big, there's a big, it's a big point of his career. He's at an age where if somebody offers you an awful lot of money, this might be your last big deal. You've got to think of yourself and your family. Um, But I I do wonder where his head was at on Sunday when he was walking around giving the lap of honour um, with the, the rest of his teammates um, like I said Leeds haven't closed the door on it as far as I'm aware the retained list will be out uh, tomorrow and we're recording this on Wednesday the 26th of May so the retained list will be out tomorrow um, his future has to be decided fairly fairly soon I would imagine because Leeds will have to move on left backs plural if he's on his way still think they'll bring in a left back if he stays um, big big summer for him what uh, what do you reckon he'll do? Bloody hell, you put me on the spot there, aren't you? What do I think he'll do? Um, well, it's, Ali, Ali, it's not like it's an unpredictable character. Yeah, trying to predict what Janny's going to do is um, is an impossible task. I think if he... yeah, I suppose it depends on the offers that are on the table. We obviously don't know that, that situation. We don't know that scenario. If there's, an, if there's a sniff of maybe playing Champions League football, that's the kind of thing that might turn his head. So... I'd like to see him stay. I think I've been kind of up, I've been kind of back and forth with it. I think if Leeds signed a left back, he'd have to obviously ask himself whether how much time he would get next season. I think the way that he's played this year, he's been sort of up and down at times, but I think he's proved that he can fit in this system and do well. Do I think Leeds United need uh, an actual left back? Absolutely. So it's kind of a bit inconsistent messages. I'd like to see him stay for another season at least, but I think um, it'll be interesting to see the decision that he makes with his his representatives over the next few weeks and what offers do sort of suddenly appear on the table because he is a a player that's obviously got good calibre. He's going away with his country this year, um, making history by by playing for the Euros with North Macedonia. So, yeah, I'd like to see him stay, but my feeling throughout this whole situation has been that he's sort of been slowly saying goodbye. Whether Sunday has changed his mind and you could sort of see him being here another couple of years in, in front of the Alamo crowd playing Premier League football, then 
things change very quickly. We've seen that with Pablo. So it'll be interesting to see where we are sort of 12 months down the line with him and where he goes if he does decide to leave. Yeah, I think we'd have said over the last six months or so, left back is an area where Leeds need to improve. And it's almost an indirect way of saying, Alioski's all right, but Leeds can do better. And and that's probably going to be true in, in every position. Let's be honest, you could always do better because there'll always be world-class players out there. Um, and world-class is a very, very small band um, that not very many players at Leeds would would hold their hands up and say, you know, I belong in that band. Um, but everyone pretty much has been saying Leeds can do better. And yet, Alioski played in all those games against the, the so-called big six in that little stretch um, towards the end of the season. And the only game where he really wasn't up to it was Brighton away in that defeat. He had a bit of a shocker at Brighton. Other than that, I think he's been solid. And there's a lot to be said for a player who can produce numerous solid performances uh, in the Premier League. So I think it's right that the door isn't closed for him. You're probably not going to offer him the world to stay. And and if he's showing reluctance, then you probably just do move on and you, you bring someone else in. But um, yeah, I, I would agree with you that, that uh, you know, it would be a satisfactory outcome for all concerned if he stayed and if he's, you know, if he's got a deal that he feels he's that adequately addresses his value. Well, I think as well, when you, you look at the squad and you see the amount of time it take it can take players to adjust to Bielsa's fitness regime, adjust to Bielsa's demands. You've got someone there who is well versed in in the squad and how it works. He's a good character, as we all say, you know, that cliche, but he is a, he's a good character, clearly, that the squad all like. You saw the way that Stuart Dallas was speaking about him at the Player of the Season Awards on Sunday night and the fact that you know, he's almost a little bit tearful over the fact that he could end up end up leaving. So he's obviously a big character in the dressing room and he's well, very well versed in, in what Bielsa demands of his players and of him. So it can't be a bad thing if he, if he did sort of do... Not a U-turn because obviously he's not made a decision, but did did decide to stay. Um, also, it'd be good if Bielsa decided to stay. Um... Imagine the panic. Don't say that. Imagine like the no. pure panic. You just never know, Joe. Don't say um, stuff like this, please. No, this is the thing. You never know because knowing is one hundred percent certainty, isn't it? And with Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, let's be honest, with a lot of people, it's difficult to second guess what they're going to do. However, I I would say I'm 99% certain that he stays because he's never seemed more relaxed or settled or content. He's been talking about Leeds thematically long term, about the evolution of the team and the evolution of certain players and what the club you know, what the club can do. He's He's been here now for three years and he's quite clearly in love with the club and the fans. He seems to be happy with the way it works with Victor Orda and with Andrea Radrazzani. Um, and yes, he doesn't like to sort out his future until the end of the, until the, end of the season, which is absolutely his, his right. I just think he wouldn't leave Leeds in the lurch at this stage because he knows that Leeds would need to have their ducks in a row and have an alternative pretty much lined up and ready to go. He wouldn't want Leeds to be going into the summer with the possibility of not lining up a manager till the start of next season. Um, I think I think with Bielsa, 
he's going to leave either in the midst of a season in the most dramatic and, and unbelievable way, or he's going to make it clear to Leeds with good time and with plenty of notice that he's that he's going to go. And he hasn't done that. He hasn't said to Leeds, I'm going. Everyone at Leeds is remarkably, insanely calm about the whole thing, which says to me they feel like they're in a, in a good position. And they know which division they're going into. They know the players the two or three, possibly four, but probably only two or three players that they're going to bring in first team-wise. Um, I just don't see him leaving. I just don't see it. And, and I think given the way the season went, given how good it was, you know, he said a few months ago that, that a lower half of the table or outside the top 10 would not be something to be valued. They finished ninth, which suggests that he would value that. And he said at the end of the season, he was satisfied with that. He feels there were more points out there they could have taken, um, which suggests he felt they probably should have finished in a European place. But I just think the way it's all, the direction it's all going in is a good one. And I'd be stunned if he left Leeds United this summer. I think he's he feels like there's still work to do here. And he's working in a way that he's maybe not been able to at other clubs, you know, with the control that he is given, with the responsibility he has and the the authority he has. Um, and he's the face of this thing. You know, Radrazani does a lot of press and talks a lot and, and talks about Bielsa's future a lot. But the face of Leeds United, whether he admits it or not, and he wouldn't admit it, is Marcelo Bielsa. He's the front man. Um, and I, I just think, I just think it's inevitable that he agrees to stay again. I'm not sure I can see him agreeing to stay for two years. But I could definitely see him agreeing to stay for one. I just think his work here isn't done. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I think the his legacy is already set in stone, no matter what he does here from you know here in at the football club. He's the one that that dragged Leeds United out of their sort of sixteen year absence from the Premier League and got them back up playing this football that delights and shocks and awes and and has transformed football players from one level to a whole different level. So I think whatever he does in future, his legacy is already set at the football club. I think if he got Leeds back into Europe and, and did that kind of thing over the next couple of years, then it's only cementing that. He's, he's He looks, like you say, he looks completely content. He's obviously has a track record for falling out with, with a few clubs and things like that. He doesn't like it when people interfere, but you don't get any of those sort of smoke signals whatsoever from his his press conferences or any on outside you know things like that everything that he wants he sort of he gets they change the training ground everything i think they know that they don't have to bow to every demand but they what they want to make sure that he's in a satisfied position because that's the best work he produces and i think like i said a bit before it's some of his finest coaching career work that he's doing right now with this Leeds united squad and, and, and what he's achieving on the world stage in the premier league yeah um, that's probably a good place to uh, to round it up because we have rattled on for a for a good seventy odd minutes now. Um, you'll notice that we haven't really talked about the transfer window. We're not going to do that in this podcast, so you're going to have to come back to the next episode, episode one hundred and one, um, due to hit all the places where you get your podcasts from sometime in the future. Um, next Joe, season in three in three years. Joe, uh, if you could give Leeds United a 
a grade for this season, how would you grade them? Nine and a half. I'd say B plus. This has been the inside out, out 10, road. Obviously. B plus out of ten. The uh, this has been the inside road and inside Elland Road podcast episode one hundred. Thank you very very much for listening, especially if you've made it all the way to the end. We will hopefully be back soon. <laughs>